the information that has been given to us in the Mueller report clearly constitutes adequate information to begin an impeachment proceeding in the House of Representatives. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the And we're off. From Pacifica Radio, this is The Broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, elsewhere in California on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka, in Oregon, KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, in Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, in Seattle, KODX, Goldendale, Washington, KVGD, in Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe. Streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Networks Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week as usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. But today, you got me, Nicole Sandler of nicolesandler.com, back after a long break and guest hosting the show. And it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks to Brad and Desi for having me. I think I owe you an explanation. To be honest, the reason I haven't guest hosted the Bradcast in uh, well over a year is because I went through something of a bit of a breakdown with the election of Donald Trump. It so totally derailed me. And then the events that transpired over the course of the last two and a half years, for a while there, I was virtually paralyzed. I could barely do my own show. I somehow made it through. But covering the antics of the criminal in the Oval Office really took a toll on me, both emotionally and physically. The good news is I'm coming around. I'm feeling a little better. I'm on new medication, seriously, not a joking matter, and starting to feel better. The bad news is Donald Trump is still in the White House, and he shouldn't be. And that's the subject that we're going to deal with today. To impeach or not to impeach? I believe that through his actions, through what he does every single day in that job, through what we've learned from the Mueller report and beyond, this man does not belong in office, period. And it is the responsibility of Congress to do something about it. That's our dilemma. So we begin, as I unfurl this tale, with breaking news. Just as I was getting started on putting together today's edition of the broadcast, a breaking news alert popped up on my computer screen. It reads, quote, The Trump administration on Friday rejected a Democratic subpoena for President Donald Trump's tax returns, setting the stage for another court battle with Democrats over their demands for a wide range of documents from the administration, end quote. So this is just the latest in a long line of requests, demands, and subpoenas that the Republicans refuse to comply with. I just saw this tweet from journalist Sahil Kapoor of Bloomberg. He wrote, quote, Dems, April 3rd, hand over Trump's tax returns by April 10th. Treasury, April 10th, no, but we'll consider doing it later. Dems, April 13th, okay, we'll give you until April 23rd. Treasury. April 23rd, we need until May 6th. Treasury, May 6th, no. Dems, May 10th, here's a subpoena, hand them over. Treasury, May 17th, no. Which brings us to our dilemma. 
How did the Democrats hold this lawless administration accountable? It's a question I've been asking, but no one seems to have the answer I want to hear. Unfortunately, whatever they're going to do will take time. I'm personally of the same mind as Elizabeth Warren. She was the first, and I believe still the only one of the presidential contenders, who has called for the House to begin impeachment proceedings. Robert Mueller put all of the facts together for us, put all of the information together for us, and abided by the Trump administration's declaration under the Office of Legal Counsel that a sitting president cannot be indicted for his crimes. He handed it over to the Congress of the United States of America to do our constitutional duty. We are a government that works by separation of powers. We are not a government that circles the wagon around a leader and says everything else falls away. Instead, we say there are powers that are given to the president and powers that are given to Congress, and each operates as a check on the other. The information that has been given to us in the Mueller report clearly constitutes adequate information to begin an impeachment proceeding in the House of Representatives. No matter how many times Mitch McConnell or the rest of the Republicans want to wish that away, it's there in black and white in the report. I urge every Republican in this chamber, I urge every Republican and Democrat in Congress, I urge every person in this country to read the Mueller report. Robert Mueller makes clear that the President of the United States worked actively to obstruct justice. There is enough here to bring an impeachment proceeding. And fourth, for us, for this body, for Congress, to back up from that and to say that protecting the President is more important than protecting the Constitution is not only wrong, it is a violation of our oath of office. I'm here to say one more time in publicly, this is not a fight I wanted to take on, but this is the fight in front of us now. This is not about politics. This is about the Constitution of the United States of America. We took an oath not to try to protect Donald Trump. We took an oath to protect the con and serve the Constitution of the United States of America. And the way we do that is we begin impeachment proceedings now against this president. Billionaire Tom Steyer has been calling for impeachment for a while now. In October of 2017, he founded NeedToImpeach.com, an organization that now boasts nearly 8 million people who recognize the urgency of holding Donald Trump accountable. Sadly, Congress isn't acting in a fast enough or visible enough manner to satisfy them. Need to Impeach released a new ad this week. It's called Nothing Happened. This is a message. For leaders of the Democratic Party. For over two years, this president has broken the law. And nothing happened. You told us to wait for the Mueller investigation. And when he showed obstruction of justice. Nothing happened. When this president took money from foreign governments and blocked the release of his tax returns, nothing happened. And when his administration illegally refused to testify, nothing happened. Now you tell us to wait for the next election? Really? 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 This is why we volunteered, raised money, went door to door, and voted in the last election. Our founding fathers expected you, Congress, to hold a lawless president accountable. And you're doing nothing. 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 He broke his oath of office. He's defying you. He's laughing at you. And he's getting away with it. This is our democracy. But Congress is part of the system, and the system is broken. We have to fix it. Need to Impeach is responsible for the content of this advertising. Pretty powerful stuff. But it left people like me feeling even more hopeless. On Thursday, the Washington Post broke a bombshell story that a federal judge ordered prosecutors to make public the transcript of a phone call that former National Security Advisor, you remember him, Michael Flynn, tried to hide. It was with a Russian ambassador in late 2016. The judge also ordered the government to provide a public transcript of a November 2017 voicemail involving Flynn. In that call, Trump's attorney, then John Dowd, left a message for Flynn's attorney reminding him of the president's 
fondness for Flynn at a time when Flynn was considering cooperating with federal investigators. Sullivan also ordered that still-redacted portions of the Mueller report that relate to Flynn be given to the court and made public. Quote, in one of the previously redacted filings released Thursday, prosecutors said Flynn described multiple episodes in which he or his attorneys received communications from persons connected to the administration or Congress that could have affected both his willingness to cooperate and the completeness of that cooperation. Hmm. Former federal prosecutor Jack Weiss was on CNN Thursday night as the story broke. Well, what's really significant is that there are multiple reach outs to Flynn from, according to this memo, both the administration and people connected to Congress. Multiple. Multiple. There's one voicemail, but there are multiple individuals and some are outreaches to Flynn, some to his lawyers. Mm -hmm. So I suspect Congress is going to subpoena Flynn. He's going to have to testify and tell us and, and, and name names for the very first time. And it also means there are at least there are tapes. Yeah, tapes is something this case has lacked, right? It's always been words on a page. Remember the impact of Access Hollywood? Just that that tactile, that impact of seeing someone, listening to someone. If we get a live tape, I think it'll be a big deal. Well, that sounds promising, of course. But what if the Department of Justice refuses to comply with Judge Sullivan's order? At this point, there's no reason to believe they will comply. The new attorney general, William Barr, has proven himself to be just what Donald Trump wanted, his Roy Cohn, instead of the attorney for the people of the United States, which is what the attorney general is supposed to be. The attorney general of the United States lied under oath at least twice in his first two outings testifying before the House and Senate Judiciary Committees after he received the Mueller report from the Mueller team, but before Congress had a chance to look at it. On April 9th, he lied during this exchange with Congressman Charlie Crist. Reports have emerged recently, uh, General, that members of the special counsel's team are frustrated at some level with the limited information included in your March 24th letter, uh, that it does not adequately or accurately necessarily portray the report's findings. Do you know what they're referencing with that? No, I don't. I think, I think, uh, I suspect that they probably wanted, you know, more put out. And the next day on April 10th, he again lied, this time to Senator Chris Van Holland. Did Bob Mueller support your conclusion? I don't know whether Bob Mueller supported my conclusion. We know Barr lied because we later learned about the letter Mueller sent to Barr on March 27th, in which he strenuously objected to Barr's characterization and summary of the report and its findings. So we already know that Barr will lie under oath to Congress to protect his client, Donald Trump. Now, in the wake of the Washington Post report about the Flynn transcript and voicemails, Trump showed his panic on Twitter Friday morning. He raged, tweets suggesting jailing the investigators for treason, seriously, before blaming others for his actions. He tweeted, quote, It now seems that General Flynn was under investigation long before it was common knowledge. It would have been impossible for me to know this. But if that was the case, and with me being one of two people who would become president, why was I not told so that I could make a change? Yeah, he tweeted that. Maybe if he had paid attention, he'd remember that Trump was warned on multiple occasions by everyone from President Obama himself to Elijah Cummings to the acting attorney general Sally Yates and others who all told him not to hire Flynn and that he was vulnerable to blackmail. Welcome to what I call Opposite World. Facts no longer matter. Reality is now fiction. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Opposite World. But let's return to the Attorney General, William Barr. He sat for an interview on Fox that aired Friday morning, his first interview since uh, the release of the redacted report. He was asked his thoughts on the fact that Nancy Pelosi believes... That bar lied under oath, which he did. We just played proof of that. He answered with what I perceive as a threat. Nancy Pelosi, she, she believes you lied under oath. What do you think of that charge? 
Well, I think it's a, it's a laughable charge, and I think it's largely being made to try to discredit me, partly because they may be concerned about the outcome of a, of a review of what happened during the, uh, during the election. But uh, obviously you can look at the face of my testimony and see on its face that there's nothing uh, inaccurate about it. Nothing inaccurate about it? I just played it on the air. He clearly lied. But in answer to that question, he said, quote, they may be concerned about the outcome of a review of what happened during the election? That sounds to me like a threat. He also said it was laughable. Barr must have a seriously warped sense of humor because he actually joked about the severity of the situation on Thursday at the National Peace Officers Memorial, which is a solemn and nonpartisan official White House event. Barr went up to Nancy Pelosi and asked loudly enough so people around him could hear if she brought her handcuffs. Pelosi reportedly said something about the House Sergeant-at-Arms being nearby in the event an arrest was necessary. I think she should have called his bluff. Chris Hayes on MSNBC on Wednesday night was interviewing Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland, talking about this very dilemma, and he summed up my frustration perfectly. A lot of people think you're just terrified of impeaching him, that there's a consensus that it would be politically, it would lead to political backlash, that Nancy Pelosi said he's baiting you towards it, that it would be a misstep. And because you're terrified of the political consequences, you're not going to do it, but you have to kind of pretend like that's what you're pursuing. And so we get this weird sort of hemming and hawing and kicking the can down the road that amounts to nothing. Chris Hayes, thank you for saying what I've been feeling. Uh, And as much as I like Jamie Raskin, his answer wasn't exactly encouraging that swift action will be taken. No, I don't think that's true. I mean, um, you know, obviously it's got big implications to impeach. The Republicans impeached Bill Clinton over absolute trivia compared to the uh, high crimes and misdemeanors that the president is likely guilty of having uh, committed. And we're not going to fall to their standard, but we're going to take it uh, at our own pace and we're going to confront the lawlessness of the administration. But if uh, if they think we're going to be goaded into impeaching to suit them because they have no other public policy agenda other than searching for the mythical deep state conspiracy behind the whole investigation, which is what they want to talk about, they've got another thing coming. We're not interested in that, but we are going to focus like a laser beam on the corruption of this administration, on the lawlessness of this administration, and on the continuing obstruction of justice, both with the special counsel and now with Congress itself. And remember, Article 3 of the Nixon impeachment articles was all about obstructing Congress in the execution of its constitutional duties. And um, Donald Trump has gone way beyond anything Richard Nixon ever did, because Trump has said no subpoenas. We're not going to comply with any of them. You know, the Oversight Committee is fighting about subpoena of the president's uh, accountants. Yesterday, the president's lawyer went to court and said that the president doesn't have to comply with any subpoena at all, and that we need to tell them what our specific legislative purpose is, which is a wholly fanciful doctrine just made up out of whole cloth. And the judge basically laughed at him and said, that's ridiculous. And today we had testimony from uh, a number of law professors who said it's completely outlandish. It overturns centuries of jurisprudence. We are the lawmaking power. Everybody owes us their lawful testimony, including the president of the United States. He's not above the law. Nope. He is not above the law. But the question remains, when they won't comply with any laws, how are the Democrats supposed to apply the law when the executive branch and the DOJ won't follow it? Coming up on the broadcast, I had the opportunity to speak with Lisa Graves today. Lisa was the chief counsel for nominations on the United States Judiciary Committee under Senator Patrick Leahy. And then she was deputy assistant attorney general in the U.S. Department of Justice during the Clinton administration. So her credentials are, well, unimpeachable. She'll weigh in later in the hour. Stick around. I'm Nicole Sandler filling in for Brad and Desi today on the broadcast. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. 
and thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com filling in today. As I mentioned in the first segment, in my quest to find out what we do about an administration that doesn't follow the rule of law, I called on Lisa Graves. Lisa is now co-founder of Documented Investigations, but she was chief counsel for nominations on the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee under Senator Patrick Leahy and later served as deputy assistant attorney general in the Clinton administration. We started with my basic understanding from seventh grade civics class of how our government works. I was taught from a young age that the United States operates on a system of checks and balances. We have three branches of government who are all co-equal, so they keep checks and balances on one another. That's how it's supposed to work, isn't it? Well, that's exactly how it's supposed to work. And so that's why the claims of the president's personal lawyers, which are being echoed by the claims of the White House counsel, which we as taxpayers pay for, Mm -hmm. uh, is pretty astonishing for him uh, to go to Congress and suggest that Congress doesn't have any ability to investigate the president uh, or to investigate uh, uh, any of these activities, including um, his his taxes, um, is contrary to black letter law. It's contrary to um, not just the statutes and history of um, legal precedents from the Supreme Court and other courts, but it's contrary to the actual structural underpinnings of our Constitution that the Congress has um, far-reaching powers to investigate and to be a check on the president. The president is, isn't king and he's not a dictator, and um, he can't uh, simply ignore um, Congress in this way, and particularly here where there's been an investigation that has involved hundreds of witnesses um, and 2,000 subpoenas that relate to um, him and some of his associates potentially committing crimes. Of course, Congress has the power to investigate. And I would say Congress has the moral duty and the constitutional duty to investigate. And they don't need to be confined to whether they're exploring whether to create another statute or something. That's an absurd construction. And if I were a judge, I would hit it with Rule 11 sanctions as being an outrageous uh, interpretation of the law and uh, outrageous and and uh, preposterous argument to make. Now, so okay, so here's a, a question that I, that I just don't know: Can a judge just do that, or does somebody have to bring them to court to get a judge to rule that this administration, the executive branch of government, is acting uh, unlawfully? Well, it sounds like they're going to have to go to court um, in order to get the evidence that Congress is entitled to. Um, During the Watergate investigation, all of those materials were provided to Congress uh, after the uh, investigation by um, the Office of Independent Counsel, when Ken Starr was the independent counsel. All of those those folders of evidence and file boxes were brought to the Congress. And now this, this president has the audacity to claim that Congress can't even the unredacted report, let alone the underlying evidence, it's contrary to um, our entire system of government, basically. It's the equivalent of, like I said, that David Frost interview where Nixon said, when the president does it, it must be lawful. That's simply not true. That's contrary to our legal system. You mean this? Or when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. That that's that seems exactly. to be Donald <laughs> Trump. I have that. I keep that handy because that seems to be Donald Trump's mantra. So I, I would expect nothing less from Donald Trump. He is, after all, Donald Trump. But William Barr, his attorney general, who was confirmed and we had people from both parties say, look, he's 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 a real you know, a uh, judiciary lifer. He he's he's responsible. He'll be the adult here. Um, did you feel that way, or did you know he would turn out to be a traitor? Oh, I never had confidence that Barr was going to do anything other than try to sub- subvert the investigation and the findings, because that's precisely how he auditioned for the job. Yep. With his memo attacking the investigation, and it's precisely what his documented history shows. He's the guy who helped pave the way for the pardon of the half dozen of individuals who were um, charged and convicted of crimes for Iran-Contra, which was a violation of plain law uh, in terms of what happened in those Iran-Contra 
uh, misdeeds, those were illegal acts, and he um, helped sweep that under the rug yep. and helped sweep those matters under the rug. So that's exactly who Barr is. He's a right-wing ideologue. He's more of a like a, a politician than, uh, I think, in my view, a real lawyer, though he's obviously a lawyer. He's someone who is willing to do anything for the people in power. Uh, he's just not someone who I would ever um, believe needed a second, a second chance to be attorney general. He was already a terrible attorney general wow. the first time around. He's the guy who was attorney general when the George Herbert Walker Bush administration was pursuing an array of extreme policies, including the gag rule to prevent doctors from even talking to women about their reproductive rights oh uh, that would include abortion and, and, and other options. This is really frightening. So so Bill Barr sits down today, or whenever he did it, it aired, I guess, this morning on Fox, his first interview, I, I think, since becoming attorney general, certainly the first, his first interview since the redacted Mueller report was released. I want to play a quick clip for you. It's about um, Nancy Pelosi uh, saying that he lied under oath, which he did, and we can get into that, uh, but we've been through it. When, when he was asked by Charlie Crist if, um, under oath, if, if uh, he knew if Mueller agreed with his findings in his not a summary summary, and he said, you know, uh, he has, you know, he, do, he has no knowledge, he doesn't know. We later learned that he had gotten that letter from Mueller not agreeing with his conclusions on the report. So he lied under oath both that day on April, I think it was April 9th, and the next day on April 10th in front of the Senate. Anyway, he's asked in this Fox interview about it, and, and his answer is bone-chilling. Nancy Pelosi, she, she believes you lied under oath. What do you think of that charge? Well, I think it's a, it's a laughable charge, and I think it's largely being made to try to discredit me, partly because they may be concerned about the outcome of a, of a review of what happened during the, uh, during the election. But uh, obviously you can look at the face of my testimony and see on its face that there's nothing uh, inaccurate about it. Now, am I being overly sensitive, or was that a threat? Because to well, It me- does seem like a bit of a threat, but I, but I have to say that, um, you know, for Bill Barr to call that laughable it is also just shows his subservience to Trump. You know, this is what we've seen over and over. Anyone who's a lawyer for Trump, and I would say in this, in this way, Bill Barr is certainly not acting as the sort of independent attorney general that we expect uh, the attorney general to be. He's acting a lot more like Kellyanne Conway. Yes. Uh, Kellyanne Conway was sort of a, a, sh- a shocker when she first really came on the scene because she was willing to say anything in service of Trump, including this ridiculous you know, um, alternative facts routine. But then I realized she's a lawyer. And so she's really a lawyer for her client. And Barr is treating, uh, treating Trump as his lawyer, and he's doing what his client wants. And he and there apparently are very few bounds to what that means. Anyone looking at the transcript of Mr. Barr's statements uh, before Congress can see that they are plainly contradicted by the facts, uh, and specifically not not like hearsay facts, but the actual letter um, the fact that there was a letter by Mr. Mueller saying uh, that he was upset about the way the way things yeah. were um, portrayed, <laughs> yeah. and so um, and so he's he's lying, and the fact that he wants to call the allegation that he's lying laughable is just more misdirection by a guy who has no business being the Attorney General of the United States of America, has no business being the top law enforcement official. For our for these United States at the helm of the Justice Department, in my opinion, exactly. So what do we do about it? Here's Lisa Graves. This is the conundrum we're under. It seems like the Democrats are so concerned with the politics of it that they're not looking at what the Constitution demands. The Constitution, I believe, and and you're the legal scholar, not me. But but as far as I know, the Constitution demands that we adhere to the letter of the law. That means you don't lie under oath to Congress. That means the President of the United States does not um, uh, refuse to comply with congressional subpoenas. That means none of this stuff happens. We're living in this opposite world, um, where where uh, where the House Judiciary committee voted uh, to hold Bill Barr in contempt, but it hasn't been brought before the full house yet. What are they waiting for? Why aren't they? Why, why do they seem to not be doing anything? And am I right to be so upset? Well, I think that the reality of um, these efforts is that they, they, they just take more time than I think most people realize to really um, set out the case, decide the sequence, 
um, in terms of subpoenas and which ones to pursue and how to pursue them, which ones are the strongest ones to take forward. My understanding from the reporting is that um, the House is going to have a vote on a set of subpoenas in June in as June? one set. In um, June. And so that would be seeing up the next uh, the next step. Um, the, the fact is, is that there are a lot of um, factors to think about in terms of anticipating that this is going to go to court, um, that we'll have to, um, we the people in essence will have to have our rights vindicated in court against this defiant um, uh, egomaniac uh, who's president, who doesn't think he's bound by any rules or laws, who thinks he's above them, and who is served by men uh, and some women who think he's like somehow beyond those laws. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the people who are going to be pursuing these cases, which is the House, they have to have their arguments prepared. They need to make sure that they can make the best case. And then when it goes to court, those courts are going to have to, you know, write opinions about these matters. And those opinions are surely going to be appealed. And so they're going to have to be very strongly and carefully uh, made if they rule against, you know, either side, um, because those 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 decisions will be subject to review by higher courts, including the Supreme Court, that Trump thinks he's packed uh, or that he's captured yeah, right. with they're, they're on know, his, his ideologue. Right. No, he thinks that, that we'll just take it to the Supreme Court like it's done that way because he doesn't have a clue how this country operates. Um, you know, yesterday there was an event. It was a peace officers memorial event, which in the past has always been a, a nonpartisan thing. You're 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 honoring slain, you know, police officers. Uh, it it just and he turned it into one of his Nuremberg rallies, where he started you know uh, bad mouthing all of the Democratic candidates, and it was at that event that Bill Barr, the Attorney General, sees Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and jokes with her, "Did you bring your handcuffs?" To which she, I guess, had a good retort, and she said, "the the, the sergeant of the, the sergeant at arms is here, if anyone needs to be arrested." How can he even joke about this? Number one, it's not funny, and number two, could she have him arrested? Is this inherent contempt that we keep hearing about? Well, you know, I think that that was that statement by Barr was planned. It's it's a uh, it's a it's a deliberate provocation. Ugh. It's the equivalent of a stage whisper. Yep. In a in a theater. You're right. And um, it's really it really shows an arrogance to joke about these matters. These matters are no joking matters. Nope. This really goes to the question of whether our constitution is going to survive this presidency. Whether we can um, successfully secure those checks and balances that you spoke about at the beginning of this conversation. Right. And um, the fact is, is that there are um, ample legal precedents for Congress to enforce its subpoena authority. Um, as, as you and your listeners probably know uh, from some of the reporting, um, for, for most of American history, um, the, the Congress acted under its inherent uh, powers in terms of contempt. Uh, and that included deploying the sergeant at arms, which is the sort of the law enforcement officer, the sergeant that is at the ready uh, on the Senate side and on the House side to take action if, if there is uh, someone who's held in contempt. Um, that was, I wouldn't say routinely used, but uh -huh. it wasn't rarely used. It was available and it was used from the beginning of this country's history. And then in the last century, in the, in the sort of last 75 to 90 years, um, the Congress has predominantly acted through statutory mechanisms to enforce subpoenas or to threaten the enforcement of subpoenas. And it has relied upon the Justice Department, uh, referrals to the Justice Department. Well, in this case, I don't know how anyone could have any confidence yeah. that this Justice Department would um, would encourage uh, independent action on those subpoenas, given uh, the behavior of, of Barr and right. his willingness to um, make the Justice Department completely subservient to this president versus an agency that has a role in our society um, to protect the rule of law. And I, I say that as someone who um, was honored to serve as a career appointee at the Justice Department, uh, the front doors of that building, the, the ones that were on the Pennsylvania Avenue side, are these very tall aluminum doors. And above them engraved was the, the, the phrase, the place of justice is a hallowed place. Uh -huh. And that's not to say that everything the Justice Department has ever done is correct sure. or that it's always on the right side. But I think you have this this notion by this president and the men uh, and some of the women who serve him 
that they don't hold justice as a hallowed place. They hold this as a mere instrument to serve his agenda and to help him uh, in his political ambitions in any way. And I have to say, with regard to that particular ceremony, I've, I've been to the memorial. It's very moving, that memorial there in Washington, D.C., and it's atrocious to think of someone um, sort of making that setting into sort of a partisan uh, political event, a gamesmanship event, right. when it's a really solemn setting. But it, it reminds me a little bit of a different setting, which wasn't so solemn, but which was the Boy Scouts Jamboree, uh-huh. yep. where Trump used that setting to engage in, in, in contemptuous uh, behavior, partisan, extreme behavior, to subvert that nonpartisan event, the gathering Little of those boys. Boy Scouts, and with we're about boys. to see it again yes. with Fourth um, of the July. 4th of July. Oh, my God. Yeah. What he's planning to do on the 4th of July is, I think it's criminal. I mentioned this on the show yesterday, but it certainly bears repeating that Donald Trump, because he couldn't get his um, Veterans Day uh, war parade that he so loved at Bastille Day in France, um, that he's decided to appropriate the country's 4th of July celebration, something that is most assuredly nonpartisan. It's always been on the mall, fireworks, bands. He's taking that over to bring it to him wherever on the Capitol step. I don't know where, but and, and he's going to speak. You know it's going to turn into one of his political rallies. How is this allowed to happen? He's not a dictator, although he wants to be one. He's trying to anoint himself king. How, how do we stop him, Lisa? Well, you know, um, right after um, right after November uh, 2016, I was asked by um, National Public Radio about what you know mechanisms we have to protect ourselves from this person who seems to have not actually even read the Constitution mm-hmm. that he was about to take an oath to uphold. Right. And I told the listeners at the time, and I stand by it: the rule of law is um, is a, is a is a fragile thing, and it depends. Uh, in large part, on people in power um, following the law and respecting the law. In this instance, it's not as though there's a law that says the president can't be involved in Fourth of July festivities. Presidents often make a statement or share a, a statement or a, a note with the public celebrating America, the found, you know, this one of these great founding days of our country. Right. But the fact is, is that no president in at least modern history has dared to use that event, um, the events on the on the on our mall to subvert them into his 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 own political partisan political electoral agenda. Yep. That's just not a that's a norm that is being violated. Now violating a norm, you know, is not illegal, but it really is uh, inappropriate. And um, it's also sort of redirecting these resources that really have been have been a, a vehicle for Americans from all parties, from all backgrounds to celebrate um, the great things about America to celebrate, you know, our Bill of Rights sure. and, and more to come together as a, as an American community, as a family. And I don't trust uh, Donald Trump for one second to treat this as a way to bring people together versus to treat it as a way to continue to divide and to advance his own personal ambition and his own personal political agenda. Um, he just can't, if he goes off script, he just can't contain himself in um, attacking others and dividing the nation. Right. That appears to be his primary, his primary um, modus operandi is to divide. That's what those rallies are about. He's like addicted to the applause. Um, he, he loves the applause lines where he goes to these extremes. And so I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a darn shame that our, our national holiday is being treated as just another campaign event and that these resources uh, for this nonpartisan event um, on the National Mall are being redirected to advance this man's ego. It's just another sign of how selfish and self-oriented this president is and how much how much disdain he has for tradition right. uh, and practices, which I thought was like a conservative value, you <laughs> yeah, know, of right. the Republicans. Not well, so he's much, not apparently. a conservative. I don't know what he is. He's, a, he's his own uh, unique animal. Uh, the problem is that the Republicans are so afraid of losing their own power that they're going along with him, not only going along with him, but they're assisting him. They are, they're providing cover for him. They're, uh, they're helping him do these horrific things to our country. Um, without any Republicans standing up and saying, this is wrong, he's destroying what's left of this republic, 
uh, again, I, I and, and maybe it's a rhetorical question at this point. Nancy Pelosi is, seems to be adamant about not starting impeachment procedures. Here's another another question about, I guess, process or or the way things are supposed to work. I was under the impression impeachment is what happens in the House. It's the hearing. It's the trial. It's getting everyone under oath in front of those TV cameras so the American people can see them have to answer the tough questions. Bill Clinton was impeached. He wasn't convicted in the Senate. He wasn't removed from office, but he was impeached. I believe Donald Trump needs to be impeached. I think it's the only way the Democrats can hold their heads up and say we're standing up for the rule of law. Am I wrong? Well, I I agree with you that it is the prerogative of the House. I would say it's the moral duty of the House to begin Mm. impeachment proceedings against Trump based on the evidence that has been provided so far. I think that um, in terms of their tactics, uh, it sounds like they are they want to pursue this as an investigation first. Um, I don't I don't know if that's a you know, I'm not sure how much difference the terminology makes at the end of the day. The reality is, is that the American people have a right to see that evidence and not just the completely deliberately distorted claims about the evidence made by Bill Barr and the absurd uh, claims by the president that he was exonerated, notwithstanding the massive amount of evidence against him, the American people have a right to see some of that testimony and some of those witnesses and some of that evidence themselves through congressional hearings, whether they're called impeachment hearings or not. The fact is that, that on the House side, impeachment is both a process in terms of having hearings, which are investigatory in nature, and then having a vote to impeach the president on various counts. So um, they're not uh, impeachment and investigations are not sort of two separate things. Right. You you can have a full investigation and end up with charges that then the House votes on. The trial of that would happen in the Senate, but we have uh, this completely failed Senate. Yes. Uh, Mitch McConnell presides over the most failed Senate in U.S. history. It's one that has completely um, uh, become subservient to this president. Uh, it won't move on um, any matters that he doesn't want. It, it is uh, an utterly partisan operation willing to install the most incompetent uh, people in every post, whether it's a cabinet position or whether it's a lifetime appointment to our federal bench to become a judge. There's sort of almost no bar too low uh, for Mitch McConnell to be subservient to um, Trump in these matters, these vital matters of whether someone is actually competent and devoted to uh, the mission of an agency or whether someone uh, in the judiciary is someone who can be trusted to be a fair judge for Americans versus be someone who is so biased or so um, unprepared. They have no business being in judgment of other people sitting as a federal judge for life. So there's no doubt that this Senate will not uh, try uh, Trump. It will, Trump, uh, uh, he'll, he'll stop that, McConnell will stop that in any turn. But that then, but that's not the end of the process. Under the Constitution, the House has the right to, as you said, uh, vote on impeachment regardless of whether the Senate has the um, has the independence or the ability to take action. In this instance, the Senate is is corrupted mm-hmm. by a really corrupt leader in the form of Mitch McConnell. It's just a bit of my conversation with Lisa Graves, former Chief Counsel for Nominations and the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, and a former Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the U.S. Department of Justice. Lisa Graves knows of what she speaks. You can find her on Twitter at the Lisa Graves. You can hear the rest of that interview on the May 17th podcast at NicoleSandler.com. It's free. Download it anytime. I'm Nicole Sandler, in for Brad and Desi. Stick around. We'll be back to wrap things up with a Twitter pal of mine, Gotta Laugh, on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com, filling in for Brad and Desi today. It takes both of them to put this show together. Anyway, on my show every Tuesday, I join forces with my friend Gotta Laugh. You might know her from Twitter because she's got a zillion followers, at Gotta Laugh, two T's, two F's. And I thought, well, let's get Laffy in on this conversation as well. So, Laffy, here's what I've been bemoaning. The fact that... Congress, the Democrats in the House don't seem to be doing enough. I, I, I don't want to say they don't, don't seem to be doing anything because they're obviously doing something and many of them are working hard. But as a whole, looking at the Democratic caucus in the House of Representatives, I want to see action taken against this lawless administration. And it seems like they just keep you know, writing angry letters and nothing of substance is happening. Oh, no, I, I totally agree with that. Um, they, you know, they keep sounding as if impeachment is an option. They mm-hmm. keep sort of bringing it up in the, kind of the, the outskirts of their conversations. And they keep also sounding like they're trying to find ways to avoid it. Like, we've got to legislate more. This is what we have to do. Well, they're legislating now and they're holding hearings now. So clearly they can do both things at the same time. Right. You know, it, I interviewed Senator Bernie Sanders a, a few weeks ago. My honor, I love Bernie, interviewed him a number of times over the years, and I was thrilled that he came back on my show. But I got to say, I was a little disappointed with his answer on the impeachment question. Here's, here's what he said. What should happen next with regard to both Attorney General Barr and the president himself? Well, in, in terms of the president, um, I mean, I think most listeners know that we have a pathological liar uh, who you know lies every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of Barr, you know, uh, I think he has got to be held accountable. Lying uh, to Congress is a very, very serious business, uh, especially if you're the attorney general who is pledged and sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States. So I can't tell you exactly what the repercussions should be, uh, but I don't think it's asking too much uh, to have an attorney general who tells the truth. And what about Donald Trump? Well, look, I think uh, in Trump, uh, and again, I'm not telling your listeners anything they don't know, mm-hmm. uh, we have the most dangerous president, uh, certainly in the modern history of our country. This is a president who is very authoritarian, is not a great believer in democracy, uh, who not only lies all the time, but is trying to divide us up based on the color of our skin or our sexual orientation or where we were born or uh, our religion. Uh, and this is just, you know, beyond belief. And I, I think what we have got to do is make sure that uh, Trump uh, is not reelected. And I'm working very hard to make that happen. And I think uh, what you're going to see is, you know, whoever the Democratic candidate may be, I hope it's me, maybe somebody else, uh, that we all come together to make sure that, uh, that Trump uh, is a one-term uh, president. And you don't think impeachment's the way to go? I'll tell you what I think. I mean, I think that's the decision in the House. I'm a senator, and I would have to vote on that. So, mm-hmm. uh, And that's something that the Judiciary Committee will deal with. But I think, uh, frankly, from a political perspective, uh, if all that the House is doing is talking about uh, impeachment and not dealing with the health care crisis, uh, not dealing with the fact that millions of people are earning very, very low wages that are infrastructure is falling up, falling apart, and mm-hmm. we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs, then I think the American people would say, you know what? Yeah, what you're doing is important, but what about me? What about my needs? You've got to pay right. attention to my needs. So, yeah. you know, I'll let the House make their own decisions, uh, but I think uh, we have got to stay, at the very least, focused on the real issues impacting the American people, and that you know, issues like income and wealth inequality mm-hmm. with three families or more wealth in the bottom half of America, criminal justice, immigration reform. You can't run away from those issues or I think the American people uh, will not treat you kindly. So that's what he said. I don't know. I think that Congress can walk and chew gum at the same time. It doesn't have to be either or. No, it doesn't. And and what he's overlooking, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, I don't know if he's doing this to, you know, uh, get the attention of people who aren't listening to him in certain ways, and maybe he'll get more people to listen to him about this. But with the whole purpose of holding an impeachment inquiry 
hearings, Mm -hmm. that's what they're called, inquiry hearings, is to gather information and educate the public as they did with Nixon. And at the end of those hearings, uh, the public came around and said, you know what? Yeah, time to impeach. It took a while. It took right. it took a lot of attention, yeah. and, but when you get twenty four seven coverage of these hearings, which that will happen, uh, then people start saying, "Oh, you know what? I didn't know this because I didn't read the Mueller report." Right, exactly. Now earlier this week, over uh, I think they started Thursday at twelve noon, and I, you know, as far as I know, maybe they're still going. But uh, a, a group of about twenty House Democrats are reading or did read the entirety of the redacted Mueller report into the congressional record. Uh, C-SPAN 3, I know, is carrying it. Uh, again, I haven't checked lately. But but even then, people aren't going to sit and listen to it. That's why Barr's not a summary summary was so important, because for almost a month, his narrative, his BS narrative, was the only one out there. And it influenced the way that the American public thinks. So Donald Trump's clarion call of no collusion, no obstruction, is what sticks with people, even though it's a lie. Exactly. Plus his tweets saying the same thing over and over again. And meanwhile, Barr is also threatening to imprison people who are investigating him. And so his little, you know, Trump's little Roy Cohn uh, look a do alike or you know evil twin is mm-hmm. trying to divert divert our attention from this newly, for example, unredacted Flynn passage in the yep. Mueller report, which we sh- that should be our focus. But now they've again switched the narrative, which they're very good at. Plus, of course, they're running government, so they they can switch that narrative. It's very easy to do. Meanwhile, Barr is going on Fox, but he won't go in front of the House committees. So you've got again him putting out a message on state TV, on Trump TV, Mm -hmm. but we can't see him put out answers to the questions that need to be asked. And when he does answer, he lies. And then he denies that he lied. And now um, uh, he did this interview on Fox in which I believe he issued a not even so veiled threat. I played it earlier. Here's what he said, because it's it's just worth... Um, listening to again. Here's what he said. Nancy Pelosi, she she believes you lied under oath. What do you think of that charge? Well, I think it's a, it's a laughable charge, and I think it's largely being made to try to discredit me, partly because they may be concerned about the outcome of a, of a review of what happened during the uh, during the election. Really? So he's saying, you know, I think they're doing this. It's as a vendetta because they're concerned about what I might find when I investigate as Donald Trump put it, the oranges of the investigation. Yes, the oranges, the yeah. origins. Yep. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. He is, again, threatening. He's And, and meanwhile, Trump is is uh, putting out tweet after tweet, calling, uh, calling people who are trying to investigate him treason. Yes, uh, he's accusing them committing of treason. treason. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's just, as, as you and I often say on when I'm on with you on Tuesdays, it's opposite world. This is not how it is. Everything they say is either projection or a lie. But that becomes the narrative, and the news dutifully repeats it. As you know, I have a thing about the media, and uh, in fact, I, I was, I almost didn't make it here today because I was so busy looking for a valid reason for MSNBC to interview more Trump voters. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, you know, I gotta say, the MSNBC may be more dangerous than Fox, because at least with Fox, you know what you're getting. It is Trump TV. It's state TV. It's his propaganda channel. You know that's what you're going to get when you go there. They so have their finger on the scale for a Biden-Harris ticket that it's sickening. And they love, 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 for some reason, Mayor Pete. They will throw out, whether it's one of their hosts or one of their guests, it doesn't matter, how Bernie Sanders can't possibly win, um, but uh, Joe Biden will certainly the Democrats to turn out. I just saw this the other day. How do they make a blanket statement like that? Joe Biden is an unproven commodity. Right. Well, not only that, but they keep airing the the polls, 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 and that's about all they report is polls, polls, polls in the horse race, and where they say, look at Biden's 9,000 points ahead of Bernie. You know, those polls are meaningless at this point. They are absolutely meaningless. Absolutely. There's name recognition. We yep. haven't had the debates yet. If they if they pushed, for example, Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. half as much as they pushed Biden. Yep. Imagine and Buttigieg too. They they I don't know what their infatuation with him I is. I don't either. Uh, 
I don't get it. I, you know, I've done some, some reading and, and, uh, you know, on the surface, he, he looks nice. He looks good. He's very bright. He's got uh, good comebacks. If I only saw that, I'd be very impressed. But some of the things I've been reading, which of course right now have slipped my mind, but, uh, I think it was, uh, possibly his attitudes about, um, Afghanistan, perhaps Afghanistan. Did you read that? That was the latest in that he said, well, I didn't kill bin Laden, but I was there and fight and I'm proud of it. But this is not a bash Buttigieg session. It's just, it's, it's, it's meant to say that the media, that, that that MSNBC in particular is giving him a pretty much a free pass. Um, while again, pushing Biden and Harris and everyone else, I guess, is just sort of left to fend for themselves. Sure, they have, uh, you know, appearances by Jay Inslee and and the the other people, but um, any chance they get to to, to diss Bernie Sanders, with the exception of of Chris Hayes, who I believe is fair, um, they take it and it's frustrating. Right. And they do also rerun clips of Bernie when he gets booed. Yep. Oh they, yeah, they rerun those clips for not only one day, the day they <laughs> happened, but for two days when when it's old news already. Yes, uh, which you know, I obviously they don't want Bernie to win, and and it's very you know, I haven't made my choice, although I'm leaning, I'm I tend to be leaning Warren, um, but uh, until the debates are over, I want just to keep an open mind and and see what's what. But when they and when that's you have the bias, job of the media, that's the job of the media, but they're exactly. showing bias, which which is irresponsible of them. And especially at a time when we're all freaked out over the rule of law. I think we need to bring the fairness doctrine back. That's a topic for another day. Um, it's just, you know, if I didn't have to watch corporate media to do my job, so I get a you know a, a little bit of everything that's out there. Um, I wouldn't. Luckily, you know, listeners at least have choices. They can listen to the broadcast or the Nicole Sandler show. Anyway, one last question <laughs> for you. Gotta laugh. Um, what What do you think Nancy Pelosi should do? You're her advisor for for an hour. <laughs> what are you going to say to her? I would say what I what I said to you. She should she should start impeachment inquiry hearings immediately. They have more than enough. More than enough. Uh, we had individual one. We had we had Trump, uh, uh, a judge ruling that that Trump uh, was a conspirator, a co-conspirator with Michael Cohen. Yep. Right there. Right there. That's yep. all you need to start yep. impeachment hearings. Yep. But we, we have so much more than that. We do. We, we have, have an have attorney Mueller general report. who's lying under oath. We have the Mueller report. We need to. I don't know what the holdup is in getting Mueller to testify, but he needs to get his ass into one of those hearing rooms and before the cameras to tell us what his conclusion was regarding obstruction. I think right. the fact that he didn't make a conclusion was uh, was just chicken on his part. What's Passing the, the buck, more or less. Yeah. Um, but. But, you know, something else, and, and this is something I, I know you were going to, uh, I think you were going to refer to a Digby tweet, yes. but I have one that I would like to read okay. because it, it goes right along with what I've been saying about um, what we were both, we're both saying about Nancy Pelosi trying to sort of uh, have everything be legislative and normal, and we're just going to go through the channels, and once we get this report, and then once we get the unredacted report, and then once we interview this person, well, here's what Digby tweeted, and I couldn't agree more. They're trying to preserve norms. Yep. that are no longer operative and are ineffectual in the current situation, they need to go to DEFCON 1. Yes, we'll call it now. DEFCON 1, we're there. All hands on deck time. I don't. I think we need a national strike. I think we need to do something. Just going along while they do their thing in a slow, methodical way is not going to help the Democrats' chances at the ballot, I believe, in 2020. They're so afraid of the political consequences of impeachment, I'm afraid of the political consequences if they don't do their constitutional duty and open impeachment hearings now. We gotta keep pushing them. Gotta Laugh, find her on the Twitters at Gotta Laugh, G-O-T-T-A-L-A-F-F, and on the Nicole Sandler Show at NicoleSandler.com every Tuesday. Thank you, Laffy. I'll talk Thank to you, you too. Tuesday. Okay. All right, bye-bye. bye. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com. Thrilled to be here to fill in for Brad and Desi today. Thank you for listening. You can find me, as I said, at NicoleSandler.com. Uh, and Brad and Desi will be back next time. As always, good luck, world. <laughs>